Welcome to the sag After Foundation's Conversations podcast. The sag After Foundation believes that contributions made to our culture by performing arts are not only valuable, but also essential. And so we provide free programming and services like this podcast to support them. If you'd like to learn more about the sag After Foundation or access the full library of our conversations or make a donation to support this podcast, please visit sagaftra.foundation. That's www.sagaftra.foundation. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SagAfterFound. Thanks, and enjoy the conversation. Hi, welcome to the Foundation's Conversations at Home. I'm Janelle Riley from Variety. Before we speak to our guest today, I want to let you know that the Foundation has set up a COVID relief fund in order to support thousands of union performers who are going through tough times. Since March, thanks to your donations, the foundation has given over $6.1 million in emergency aid to more than 6,600 performers and their families. If you are a SAG After member and you need help, please ask. And if you can help, please give. Information can be found in the description of this video. Thank you for your support. And now, without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce an actor, singer, and producer. She can play any role in any genre. She is also on the SAG After Foundation Actors Council and has actively been working with us on our COVID relief efforts. Please welcome mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman. Hi. Hi. Thank I'm you so, so much. I'm so glad you made here. that introduction because it's so important to keep, um, you know, reiterating how much it's still um, the support is so needed and. The fundraising efforts are really important and the donations are so appreciated and so constantly keeping that in the conversation so that people know um, there's still so much work to be done and so many people in need, so many actors. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I mean, that's, that's it. That's got to be the nightmare for an actor, right, that you literally can't work. I, yeah. When this shutdown started, I was just terrified for so many of my friends. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at the 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 way in which this industry is structured, we're in the position where when we go to work, we don't get to wear masks because we have to be, we start with the mask on, but when you shoot the scene, you have to take your mask off and you're exposed. You're in a, you're one of those workers who is in jeopardy, you know, so it's a very frightening thing. And having worked that way, um, as the, as stepping into my producer role, going, we have to make these actors feel safe. We have to, one, give them work and do everything we can to rally and make sure we can give them work. And that means pushing, you know, things up a mountain, but at the same time going, but when we, when we do create work, we then have to go, it's going to be safe for you too. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's, you know, that's something that's so important. And I think people sometimes go, oh, my gosh, it's, it's over the top, all these sort of um, protocols and things, but they're so the environment, so the work environment for all of the actors um, can come to work and go, you're taking care of me. You know, you're not putting me in jeopardy for you, for your own, for your own cause. Mm-hmm. And I love being able to do that. So... I'm actually so excited to talk to you about your work as a producer, um, which is a nice, you know, you have a nice fallback career. The acting thing doesn't work out. <laughs> but I actually want to go back to the beginning and because this is a SAG after audience. But actually, when you say that, that was part of the reason I became a producer is because it was, I'd, I was 40. I was pregnant. I was in a position where my career was on a sort of a downward, um, a downward trend. And I was like, this feels awful, you know, literally where you'd go, will they c- consider me for the job or can I get a, a look in for it? And they'd be like, no, 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 they don't like you, whatever. you." And I was like, oh, gosh. And I, um, and I went, so how do I somehow, you know, make this and find things that I can um, take some sort of control of where I'm going now, particularly as a woman, at, at that stage of my life where you're told, well, this is kind of, you know, there is this trajectory. There's a few, you know, anointed few who get to surpass that. Mm. Um, 
and you look at Meryl and you look at those people and Jessica Tandy, I used to hold her like going, Jessica Tandy worked <laughs> um, all the way through. But, you know, there really wasn't, there isn't, there still isn't enough, um, but there wasn't that path. So, so that was sort of the reason I became a producer wow. ultimately. Mm, to try and to try and steer, ch- take control of our destiny, which I think any actor would say is probably one of the hardest things, is we don't have a lot of control. Right, right. And I believe you founded Blossom Films, your production company, ten years ago. I'm so bad with numbers. <laughs> I've turned into that person. <laughs> well, um, so it, I, it might be more than ten years ago. Um, yeah, yes, more than ten years ago, uh, and. Really, we're a lean and mean as much as it sounds like some massive production company. It's not. I think you've met my producing partner. We have two other people who work for us who are young, um, wonderful, really smart um, um, young people in the industry and and that's it. <laughs> so it's not some massive thing and we've always, you know, we pride ourselves on being workers and and passionate and supporters of um, all sorts of stories and ideas and um, and very, very committed to um, putting female directors into the equation in a really balanced way. So I really want to talk about that because you made a, a, a vocal pledge back in 2017 that you would work with a female director every 18 months. And you've actually surpassed that. You work with a yes. lot of female directors. You have since the start of your career. Yes. I don't know if even when you were starting out, if that was something you were doing consciously or you were just sort of drawn to those stories. Probably um, drawn to women and drawn to that the, the nurturing aspect of that as a, as a young actress and, you know, knew Jane Campion when I was in a little tiny drama school and she sort of discovered me. I was 14. I was on the stage doing Sweet Bird of Youth. Um, at, you know, what role? At, no, I, I would have been 13 and I was playing the princess in Sweet Bird of Youth. Um, hey, <laughs> it's called stretch, sure. stretching. Sure. I can do it. Um, I didn't understand even the, what I was doing, you know, um, but she saw my swagger, as she said, and, and responded to that. So, But it's just so interesting how things happen. But I would take myself off. I'd catch a bus and a train. I'd travel for an hour and a half on a Saturday morning. I'd get up at 6 a.m. and I'd, I'd spent, you know, get myself organised, pack my little thing because my parents wouldn't be able to drive me because they would have had a party the night before. And I'd be like at my class by 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning. And I loved it. It wasn't like, oh, I've got to do this. It was oh, I couldn't wait for Saturdays. And I would do history of drama, I would do movement, we would do um, tap dancing, we would do um, um, plays where we would study the text. So it was just, you know, at that age of 13, 14, kind of my salvation and and the thing that rescued me in a way because I was, you know, a tall, skinny, redheaded girl who couldn't go to the beach and wanted to get lost in my creative world and imagination. Were you just having fun or did you know even then that you wanted to do this for a career? I mean, the idea of doing it as a career was so far-fetched. It was more like that was the dream, but by gosh, you better have a backup plan, you know, because the dream is probably not going to happen. I mean, in the Australian film industry, it wasn't like there there was an industry big enough to sustain a career, you would work intermittently is what we were sort of, you know, what what we knew to be true. And so it was always like, okay, well, this is kind of something that's off in the future and wow. And then, you know, make sure you get good grades and I would go, well, I'll probably have to. And I worked as an usher. I worked as... Um, um, I'd, I'd worked in a store. I worked, you know, did all sorts of little jobs to to get money to pay for my to pay for my tuition, like every other actor out there, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> I, right, and then yeah. and then I was so lucky to get a job, um, and I was in a thing called Bush Christmas. 
And then I was in a thing called BMX Bandits. Yes, um, love it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, I got a paycheck. And, um, and I was just a worker. I was the worker bee. I was the one that was like, okay, I, I will learn on the job. I'm going to make my mistakes on the job. I'll, I'll try out for everything. I'll be out there and just trying, trying, trying. Um, but I loved it and I still love it. I think for a lot of us, we, we first saw you in 1989's Dead Calm, which was an Australian right. movie, but it, it was... I'm really- glad you didn't see the BMX Bandits then. No, I, I love <laughs> BMX Bandits. I genuinely do. It's part of my childhood. It's a movie. <laughs> but I, but I just very difficult it. acting. Very, very difficult. <laughs> but I have to imagine Dead Calm was a major turning point in your career. I, I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but is that sort of what caught Hollywood's eye? Well, strangely enough, it was a limited series called Vietnam, which was the thing I did, and it was about the Vietnam War. It spanned a 10-year period. It was an Australian miniseries, what we called a miniseries at the time, and that was when I first started working for Kennedy Miller, um, and that was George Miller's company, and and it was a fantastic role. I got to age from 14 to 24 in it, and... I played a girl who was um, an activist during the Vietnam War and whose brother was a conscientious objector and all of the way in which that family was affected by the war. So it was a great, great piece of drama, Australian drama. And then um, Dead Calm kind of came along and they, they actually rewrote the role and made it younger so because they want, because of my age and I was just incredibly fortunate to have the support of um, that whole company of Kennedy Miller and there was a, a group of directors there who were Philip Noyce and John Digan and George Miller and Terry Hayes and they all gave me, you know, these, these wonderful, this wonderful chance to work and then I'd go back to school. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'd be so far behind and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to fail my exams. And I actually, I, you know, reluctantly say this to people, but I left school when I was um, just before I turned 17. Really? I did. Because I wanted to get out there in the world, in the industry. And I just, I wanted to work and I figured I'd gotten my education. I'm not saying this is for other actors out there. Um, This was a strange path, but yeah. And I still would do correspondence courses and I would study. I'm still a huge studier. I'm big in, I I research things. I read all the time. I'm I'm deeply into um, history and, and, and the way and preparing for a character with all of that. I, you know, information so and I'll also do acting classes still when I, I study accents still really yeah yeah I'm as I say I'm always a student I will always be a student and I pride myself on that because I just am not the person that sits back and goes yeah ask me a question I know how to do it I'm always like I have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> Hopefully I have a little bit now, but I'm always, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to mold myself and, and adapt. Do you uh, do private lessons or do you actually go to a class and like other students are there with Nicole Kidman in their acting class? No, I I don't so much go to a class now. I would love to do a masterclass at some point or do some of those things where I'm engaging with students. Um, I do private lessons. Like right now I'm doing movement classes because I'm going to play Lucille Ball. So I, I have a particular stance and a particular way of working. So I've, um, I have to adjust myself now physically. So that's a really I'm putting in, you know, time with that, having the time to do it. I'm also working um, on the dialect really intensely, an hour and a half, two hours a day right now. So it's that it's the hard yakka right now, which I just go, okay, show up and do it, show up and do it, show up and do it, show up and do it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully it'll, it pays off. I mean, but it won't, I always say, I don't want to look back and go, I wish I'd worked harder mm-hmm. or I wish I'd just kind of not coasted along. The thing I can do is 
do the prep and show up. And then a, a lot of the other thing is, is really, you know, with the acting gods where you go, this will either work or it won't, it'll connect or it won't, but it won't be because I didn't show up grateful and willing. I was going to say, have you ever coasted? I don't think I can cite a single performance of yours where I felt like you were going through the motions. I hope not. (laughs) I hope not. I think, I mean, I've definitely not achieved what I hoped or I've, you know, I always say if it didn't work, it's it's because I couldn't make it work. I'll take the blame. Absolutely. I'm happy to, not happy to, but I will shoulder that. Um. Because I'm like, okay, well, it just didn't work. I just didn't make it work. And that's heavy, you know. At times that can be really a, a blow and it can hit my hit me really hard and I can it can take a while to recover the confidence and those things. Um, but I'm absolutely willing to be responsible and be accountable if something didn't work because for whatever reason, I wasn't good enough in it. Coasting, no, I haven't. I I, I haven't coasted. I'd be ashamed so. if I coasted. Partly because, and this is a group of actors we're talking to. Partly because everyone knows it's a job is a job. It's thank you. I think there's a there's an amount of ingratitude if you if you're not going. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for this chance. And it's very touching to me watching actors show up, no matter how big their role is, prepared and willing. I mean, it honestly makes me cry because I see the, it's, I don't know what it does. It touches me because it's a very, very pure, beautiful thing when people show up offering their talent and their heart and their, um, and their willingness to work on a set and expose themselves. It's extremely vulnerable, as any actor will tell you. Yeah, vulnerable, deeply vulnerable, and it's personal. So, and but oftentimes you're not in control of the final product, so you can't always blame yourself if something doesn't work. No, I'm working on that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> but um, but you know that it's still it hurts. It, it it's like oh, gosh, or and it's very frustrating if you're on a set and you can't make a scene work and trying to. And I'm like. You know, and there's times when I've, I've, the one thing I've really learned is that sensation of relaxing and going, it will come, it will come. If it's not working in the first, the worst thing is when you see terror on a director's face because <laughs> they're really worried because it's not working and they're looking at you going, that's it. That's a really, I mean, that's like, that's a knife to the gut. But to then relax into that and go, okay, I can bring my experience, I can bring what I know to be my talent and go, if you help me, we can get there, mm-hmm. you know. And it's, I, I say that to actors that it's so, so much of it is, yes, you, you work, but then you relax and there's a flow that happens and a trust yeah. And the ability to look at your partner and go, we're going to do this together. And I, I've had that so many times. <laughs> After- and leaning in, leaning yeah. in to the other actor is so important. Working with. Absolutely. When you have a great scene partner too, like obviously most recently you did The Undoing with Hugh Grant. And I was so pleased to see the two Paddington villains come together. And <laughs> you just, you, you felt like a married couple. And I, I think I read somewhere that you'd kind of been badgering him for years to do something with you. Um, oh, I'd wanted to work with you for a long time. Hugh and I have a very similar sense of humor, but um, we'd known each other for a long time, which always helps because there's a, um, you're not creating a chemistry. There's mm-hmm. a chemistry there. Um, but I remember on The Undoing when Edgar Ramirez showed up and he was like, um, he hadn't been able to rehearse because he was on another another job and he'd flown in and he came in and we had a huge scene and he was so good and I was like struggling going, oh, I'm, uh, I was tired, I'd been shooting every day and I was carrying the weight of that role. And I just remember looking at him and going, great. 
I can, this energy from this actor right now is everything that I need. And it's, and I've just got to allow that, that vibration and that energy between us to exist and trust it and go with it. And he carried me. Um, and then in the interrogation scenes with him as well, there was some, re- some days where it was just like we shot, you know, 12, 14 hours while with all of that dialogue and me being interrogated and the really tight shots and all the things. And both those actors, one of them was actually a real policeman um, and he was an actor. Yeah. And so I just had to really trust them that they would get me there and that the energy that they were giving to me would then um, really ignite my performance. And it did. So yeah. I love talking about that. And then the, the relationship between Donald and I was so father-daughter. Amazing. Oh, I was so I convinced he did it for so long. <laughs> Why? Because he went and threatened the headmaster? Because he's Donald Sutherland. And Donald Sutherland <laughs> shows up. You know he's up to no good. I just would, like, see Donald and be like, he was so soothing to me. Yeah. He reminds me of my dad, who's not here anymore. And I was just soothed by him. He's also wise. He just carries mm-hmm. all this wisdom and these extraordinary stories, and he's a fantastic actor. I mean, we were so blessed to have all those actors. Noma, who came in, Lily, Rabe. I mean, you're talking all of them. Um, Matilda. I mean, it's just like we were inundated with talent in that show. Uh, and that is an ensemble, you know. Oh, yeah. That's what an ensemble does. I was pretty convinced Lily did it for a while too, actually. <laughs> Come on. Well, here's a story. So we're standing in the courtroom and the first assistant director, we've been in that courtroom for a long time. Those sequences are, are long and, and intense. And suddenly the first AD just sits, screams out to all of the um, people who are sitting there, all of the other actors and the extras who are in the scene, who do you think did it? And I'm like sitting there, and everyone pointed at me. And I was like, oh, thanks a lot. Throw the woman under the bus. Um, (laughs) It's always the woman. Um, (laughs) And uh, we couldn't answer, you know, because we don't want to give the ending away. But literally everyone, I'd not said a word. I sit in that courtroom for most of that courtroom responding, and everyone thought it was me. I, I had a friend who was convinced it was you because of the late night walks. And yeah, she, she just yes. kept coming back to that. And I was like, I, I, she's like, she knows New York really well. And she's like, nobody just happens to walk past that area. <laughs> right. But I did. Because sometimes, yeah. And that's what I love about the show is that it's mm-hmm. actually, it didn't take the cheap um, thrill where it is truly about, um, what's right in front of you and mm-hmm. how we convince ourselves, and it's happening now, <laughs> um, convince ourselves that it's not real, that what we know with all of the facts and still so much of the audience, and we're talking like 80% of them go, no, 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 I don't want to believe that. No, mm-hmm. it can't be true. I find that a really interesting study on human beings, and that's why it's so beautifully written by David E. Kelly. I can't remember the last time that I really saw a show where people wanted to watch the moment it was on and waited for each week. Like I remember texting with a friend, the one who thought you were guilty. And it was always like the night before it'd be like undoing tomorrow. Like that hasn't happened in years. No, it's sort of, it was, it's a wonderful part of still that, that the system that HBO has, which is not sort of dropping everything and allowing people to binge it immediately. It is, there is something to be said for that. Mm-hmm. I've always said that the state of yearning and desire is not a bad state to exist in. <laughs> it's really not though. It's so underestimated, right? Right. I the actual agree. getting of something sometimes isn't as as satisfying as the as the yearning and the waiting. Mm-hmm. It's a different experience, but we underestimate the power of that sensation and that emotion. It can be fun in life, <laughs> <laughs> not just waiting for a TV show. <laughs> I, 
I actually want to come back to the undoing when uh, we get to your producing career, but I want to go back to the start of your American film career because right out of the gate, I mean, you started with Days of Thunder, then you took on, you know, you were starring opposite Dustin Hoffman and Billy Bathgates. You were working with the best of the best from the beginning. And was, was it challenging to sort of navigate this new life in a new country in a spotlight? Um, yeah, it was really challenging. It was, it was sort of like going in and auditioning with Dustin Hoffman. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm auditioning with Dustin Hoffman. I mean, we grew up, I grew up watching all of his work. And so then to be in the room with him, I was completely overwhelmed. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, just, do what you do and try the scenes. And he's very, you know, he's obviously incredibly spontaneous and and um, his the Meisner technique is probably, I would say, a lot of what Dustin does. I've, I'm speaking for him. But so a lot of it was just playing in the scenes when I was auditioning. It was when I got the role, I couldn't believe it. You know, I was just like, are you joking so it was more like trying to be cool and stay calm through through those periods. And then, you know, I would go and audition for things and not get them. And I was just like, but this is such a great time to just have the chance to audition. Mm-hmm. I remember going and auditioning down at the public theatre with Kevin Klein for the role of Ophelia in his Hamlet, and I didn't get it. And I was like, oh, I got the audition. I got to audition with Kevin Klein, And all of that is, that's, that's great. That's experience, right? Every audition, you learn something and you're in there trying something. I remember auditioning um, with Robert De Niro for the role in Casino. And I was too young and I went in. I was all dressed up. I know, here's a story for you. And I dressed up totally as the character and I walked down and and I'd done so much prep and I walked in and there's Martin Scorsese and De Niro and I did it. And I was completely, like, inside I was dying. And then my agent got a call with some feedback saying it was really good. I was just too young and... Mm. um, but that feedback was everything, which is another thing that I really try to do um, when people audition is give feedback because those tidbits, you're like so hungry for them, even if you, and I'm sure other actors relate to this, you don't get the role, but the feedback is like, oh, oh I was close or I should have done this or maybe, that, you know, those things can really help you. Um, it's, yeah, so... <laughs> It, it, I'm, it, I'm jabbering on. No, no, Ask no. We're here to hear you talk. <laughs> um, I am curious, though. Um, it's It must be years since you've auditioned. Do you remember even the last time you auditioned? I see almost every role as an audition because you never know what the, what the next job's going to be, right? So some, And also sometimes just a meeting or a chance meeting or the way in which you interact can lead to something else. So always this is the other wonderful thing to tell actors is you may not get that job, but that mm-hmm. may lead to something else. You never know. And that is the gorgeous part of our industry is it can change on a dime and you never know what is around the corner. Mm-hmm. And that where something leads. So that's why don't phone an audition in. Always do the best you can with that. Try to learn, try to be off off page so that you can connect um, because so much of it is they're wanting to read your, the way you think and the way you respond and those things are really important. And don't ever just phone in an audition because that could really, that, that isn't good. You just never know where it's going to lead. And you may not get that role, but you may get that role, you know. Did you ever have any of those, like, disastrous auditions, you know, whether it was, you know, due to circumstances yeah. out of your control? Oh, really? <laughs> what was your worst? Yeah, and I, ha- I think just where I'm just totally wrong for it or mm-hmm. I got really nervous or... Um, kept treading on on the lines or, you know, had some stage fright and couldn't remember, um, had only got the, the pages late, late, late the night before and it sort of crammed and tried to get in there and so hadn't quite gotten a grasp of what the character was or the accent, all of those things. Um, so another thing is a lot of times I would say 
because, you know, being Australian, you're going, well, I only got the pages at 11 p.m. They sent them through to me and I've got to be here and it's now 9.30. Um, and I've, I've, tried, I've tried to prepare, but I'm not going to do the accent. I'm just going to do the performance. And that can sometimes work because, mm-hmm. you know, doing a bad accent, I mean, an accent you can learn. Yeah. Um, and work on and if you have the time but trying to sort of do it and do it badly it's much better to do do the performance and the and show the actual what what your your understanding of the scenes and what you're bringing to the scenes than try to have a perfect accent in an audition at this point now I don't know I mean some people may disagree with that but that was always my my sort of way of of thinking about it it, it's worked for you, so I'd say it works. <laughs> um, we all know now that you can do comedy, but I feel like another big turning point was when you did Gus Van Zandt's 1995 film, To Die For, uh, for which you won your first Golden Globe Award. Um, I knew you could do comedy because I saw you on Saturday Night Live in 1993 and you were brilliant. <laughs> and, Mike um, Myers and Chris yes. Farley. And Adam Sandler. That's when I met Adam Sandler. That's right. You 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 play yeah. a new girlfriend in a in a yeah. Denise sketch. Yeah, the Denise yes. show. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I I remember being so impressed. I remember that was a turning point, at least for me, going, she's funny. Someone put her in a comedy. I remember the Mike Myers skit, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. Well, it felt like drama school. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is what we did, you know. We, so to have that opportunity to work with him and he'd written the skit, you know, everyone would pitch their their ideas and, and their skits and some of them would get through. I mean, that is a hair-raising week, that Saturday Night Live week. That's like live wire act stuff. But, you know, it was really fun for me because I was able to just go. That That's part of the just give it a go, just try it. Admittedly, there's millions of people watching. <laughs> But at the same time, because I'd had that kind of rigorous drama school background where you're just, you know, going, okay, try this, playing the princess in, in um, Sweet Boat of Youth, all of those things, they kind of help with that. I'd also done um, in, in my drama school the, the mime work, and I say this repeatedly, in the mime classes, you know, where you're doing um, all of the mime work and pretending you're patting a dog and, you know, you, you spent hours creating the, the teacup that you're about to drink from and the sensation of what the china feel, every single little bit, which when you're doing it, you're like, oh, I just want to give me a scene. I want to do that. Okay, we'll put two hours in on this, this mime class every week. That has been one of the most important things I learned. <laughs> So to all actors out there, do your mime classes because now with green screen, you, so many times you're pretending. So I'm in a movie, Golden Compass. They're like, so you've got the monkey on your shoulder and there's no monkey. It's, there's nothing there. And you've got, I was like, whew, lucky I've did the, done this mime class. I can feel the fur. I can feel the fur of the monkey, you know, all of those, feed the monkey. Um, all of those things became so necessary. And then I did a film, Dogville, where mm-hmm. there literally was no walls. And it's like, okay, there's the wall. Here's the, the doorknob. I can see it. I can feel it. I can turn it. All of those things suddenly were the most, <laughs> it became like one of the most important classes I'd done. I love that you mentioned Dogville because uh, you worked with Lars Von Trier. And I mentioned uh, Gus Van Sant earlier. And obviously you've worked mm-hmm. with so many auteurs from Boz Lerman to Jane Campion, Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that's insane. I know mm-hmm. that all directors are so different and you probably have to sort of adjust your style per director. But dream scenario, what do you hope for from a director when you show up to set? Um, belief in me, the ability to direct me, to, um, to sort of rigorously get in there and go, I know you can do this and let's try this and, and, um, knowing when they've got it, you know, going, got it. And I can go, really? And they can go, yeah. Mm. And that, that feeling is such relief because when a director looks to you and also I think obsession, I love obsession. So Kubrick was I like, I like artists who are obsessed. 
I just do. <laughs> it requires that. I mean, I'm not a nonchalant kind of eh, whatever. I love the um, just the I love the passion and the obsession and the commitment and the going back home and thinking about it and coming back in with more ideas and it's just a beautiful thing to work with, to work like that with other actors, to work with a director that way, to work with any sort of writer that way. It just, it's so, it's, it's wonderful. I'm really curious um, in Dogville, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, you were there, <laughs> but like you said, no I think I was, <laughs> there's just lines on the floor on a stage. Yes. Did you know in advance that that's how it would be shot? Because I heard a rumor you didn't know, and I just think it would be strange to sign on to that and then show No, up. no, I knew. You didn't know. No, I, I mean, I was, when I signed, I wanted to work with Lars von Trier because I'd seen um, Breaking the Waves. Mm. I'd seen all his work, but I'd seen Breaking the Waves. I, I was stunned. I was stunned at those performances and what he achieved with that film and, Emily Watson and Stellan. I, I was just like, I couldn't believe it. And I wanted to work with him. And it was sort of, you know, I, I think I w- I'd done Moulin Rouge. I was in a, you know, in terms of just my own space and my own life, I was, I was lost. And so a lot of my life, whenever I'm lost, I get lost in my work mm-hmm. artistically I was in pain, um, you know, just in terms of my emotional um, state. And I was like, I want to go off to this place in Sweden, Trollhattan, and and work with this director. And, and I was very, very interested in the style, which was Brechtian. And I was willing, you know, we all lived together. That's when I met Patty Clarkson and Lauren Bacall. We were all living together there in Sweden, my idea of heaven and it would get dark at 3 p.m. and we were on a soundstage and at about 2 p.m. Lars would go, let's have some peach schnapps, we're done. And um, and that was it. You know, we'd shoot sort of 7 to 2 and then we'd go back and prepare for the rest of the day. And it was it was really difficult. The role was really difficult. The state of being of that character was difficult and Lars is unusual um, um, but all of the actors, Paul Bettany, all of them were just fantastic. And, and it was an odd, odd, odd existence right up my alley. <laughs> it was snow outside and it's everything that you go, oh, wow, this is why I'm an actor. Yeah. I love this. I'm with other actors. We're kind of in a, we're, we're in this bubble a creative bubble and this weird thing and this will be etched in my memory forever and we're working with this really avant-garde director with on this really avant-garde film how fantastic it it sounds like really a, like almost like a little theater troupe that he put together yeah. yeah yeah and he's unusual because he shoots he's he operates the camera he's the steady cam operator so he has the whole apparatus on him and he's got the camera and I'll always remember this about Lars is he would be shooting you. He'd go, go again. No, this is, no, start again. But when you were really sort of panicking or not getting it or he would put his hand out under the camera and hold your hand. Wow. So I forgave Lars everything because <laughs> of that. I, how wonderful was that? Mm-hmm. So, and he would hold your hand and you would do the scene and he would hold your hand. And it was a sort of a, so that was really fascinating to me. And then he would, you know, you'd go, well, he'd go again and he would say, uh, you go, well, it's, and he'd go, I just want you to do the whole one, whole thing laughing now. And I'd be like, well, no, but I'm meant to be, to, he goes, do it again and just laugh all the way through it. So it was that kind of experimentation, which I love. Was there much room? And then he would edit it together. Really? Together, mm. And I look at some of those images and the, the, there was one time, though, when I had to put the, the collar on my neck and this is, was a really weird and it was a big metal collar and they got a locket and it literally would lock mm. and I'm, like, meant to be carrying this huge metal thing around my neck with the lock on, which takes a lot of trust as an actor, and I'm meant to start to choke. 
So they put the lock on me and they lock it. And I'm like going (gasps) like that. And I'm literally choking because it's like pushing on my pipe. And I'm like, and then he says cut. And I'm like, then they undo it. I'm like, I was really choking. I was really choking. And that was, yeah, that was frightening. Wow. I know. I learned, I learned my lesson there, like always have a signal that says, help, I'm in trouble. This is, I need help. Wow. That's good. Yeah. Any set, I think, even when you're, no, there isn't a, a dangerous yeah. stunt, just have a signal saying, I need help. I need help. <laughs> yeah. Well, because the other thing, and I always say this to actors, is never cut a take. Really? I was taught it really young. Yeah. I've never uttered cut. Really? You've never, ever. have you ever broken during a take and you just let it go? I've laughed or things have gone wrong. Oh, yeah, totally. But I've never said the word cut. Mm, wow. Yeah. Um, I was just, I was, I think I was about 14 when I was taught that. I can't remember who came up and I think I did say cut, cut. And they were like, you are never, ever allowed to say cut. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So that's etched in my, in my brain. And so I never cut a take. Even if everything goes wrong in the take, I still keep going. I mean, obviously, if I was in real physical danger, I probably wouldn't say cut. I'd just be like, help, help, you know. But I would not. Um, I just can't say the word cut. <laughs> Could you, can you, well, it feels you can. like you're cutting the magic. I'm not the best pos- the judge of that. You know what I mean? I'm not a good person. A lot of times what I think when I think it's not good is actually the magic, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of almost like a discipline, a good discipline to have. But obviously if you're in physical danger or something absolutely, you know, life-threatening is going to happen, then say cut. But uh, Dogville was such an interesting choice too because you were coming off this amazing trio of films that you released in the space of two years back in 2001, 2002. I mean, mm. they could be more different. You talk about range, Moulin Rouge, The Others, and The Hours. Um, and looking at that trio, all made during that time, I, mm. I'm curious how you choose your roles. Maybe it's changed over time, but you know, they're, they're so different in such different parts. And I, I just... You just seem to have a really good instinct for what's going to work. No. <laughs> I don't. I just, um, I don't really have, uh, it's just kind of, I, I go with the flow on that in a weird way. Like if I feel like I want to work with someone or if I just even like the drawer, I like the character or I feel the, um, you know, I went and did um, a film with Werner Herzog. I wanted to work with Werner. And I wanted to go to the desert. And, um, you know, so for all different reasons, I'll do things. Mm. And that was probably one of my greatest experiences was being in the desert with Werner Herzog. That, that sounds like a movie in and of itself. I just want to see you guys yeah. hanging out in the desert. Riding camels and right up on the Algerian border. And wow. it was pretty extraordinary, you know. So there's just different reasons for doing different things, but it's... Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wish I could. I wish there was some sort of incredible. No, I'm deeply committed to to independent filmmaking in the sense of just giving the opportunity to auteurs and allowing them to be born, so to speak, and helping if I have any anything to to contribute in terms of power or financing to help those people get their get their films made. Um, that's a wonderful thing to be able to do. I've been in the position where I haven't had that opportunity. So to now be able to go, because I grew up watching art films. I grew up watching, going to the cinema and watching films from all over the world about all different things. And I'm, that's probably my deepest love and deepest commitment. And I love international films. Yeah. I love being transported into cultures and places and people's minds that I would never, ever get to enter. I mean, that's just glorious. You've played such a wide And so of- important. Yeah, right I now. agree. I've just seen So important because that's how I built my compassion. That's how I built my empathy. That's how I built my understanding and continuing to build it. Um, 
my abhorrence at things, my when you have when you see something that's so like terrifyingly violent and and there's reason to it and you go oh this is an exit I've entered into this world I now ah those things lead you to making changes for me I will get out there and go I got to get involved now I got to change I got to do and I'll look at somebody across the street and feel so much more for them because I've just seen a film about their culture or their life or you know I can imbue them with things that brings me closer so, mm. one of the f- most recent films, honestly, that had that effect on me was Lion, where you played Sue Breyer. Right. I remember like seeing that oh. movie and being a much nicer person for the next week. <laughs> it was, it was right. such a kind, inspiring movie. And, and mm. you have played so many real people, but is, is Sue mm. the only person you've been able to meet that you played? Uh, no, I've met, I've met. Other people, um, Sue, I, I, I connected with. Sue's got a, such a big heart. You know, that, that film is obviously about love. It's about wherever you find your mother, you can have more than one mother. And if, you know, the idea of loving um, a child just being given love and the love that they're given, taking them and never saying, well, you have to love me because I'm your mother, always saying, yes, we can have two, three mothers. There's different ways in which people mother mother a child, but the power of good love um, on a child is just exquisite. And Sue gave those children and is still giving those now adult men good love along with their birth mothers and the and the connection between those two women I thought was a really beautiful story too. And then also just the power of over, overcoming enormous odds, what he did, Saru, in finding his birth mother through that Google Earth. And, I mean, it's, it's an astounding story and it's true. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. When you're playing a real person like Virginia Woolf or, you know, even someone current like uh, Gretchen Carlson, uh, Mm. you obviously played Grace Kelly as well. Um, I imagine it has to be intimidating knowing that, you know, this was a real person who might have family out there. People can compare Mm. you to the real person. But do you also Mm. like that way of working? Because there must be so much research to draw on. Um. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose I don't look at it any differently. I just try to um, be true to who the person is and and sometimes you're only depicting them. Depends how big the role is, you know. With Gretchen, with with Sue, we, I was playing a supporting role with a limited amount of time to give, and it's not their story, so it's giving a part of their story and trying to honour that in their it for them, but also be truthful, you know. And I think what's wonderful, and someone like Virginia, it was more um, trying to connect to her through her writings with the help of all of those, you know, when you're given David, when David Hare gives you that speech about we have the right, mm-hmm. I have the right to choose what I want to do with my life, that there penetrated every cell of my body. I was like, yes, we do as human beings. We get the right to choose what we want to do with our lives and how we want to live and how we want to conduct ourselves. We do have that right, and I deeply believe it. So that that worked for me, you know, but I'm given words by David Hare and direction from Stephen Daldry and then the magnificence of Virginia in all her complexity and somehow you just go, I hope that this will thread through, but I believe what I'm saying and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And in the weirdest way, I sort of, I think when you're, when someone's gone and you're playing them, maybe there's some wonderful thing happening where they're, where you're, you know, somehow the conduit for them still. Mm-hmm. And especially if they've been an author and they've written, that's one of the beauties of, you know, having great, their great literature still. And I love that, that you can still exist. Your existence is still here and really helping people and, and they're still living and feeling you. Mm-hmm. That's with music, art, writing, 
performance. When people see you on the street, not that we're really out and about amongst people right now, but you've played so many different roles in so many different genres. What do people want to talk about the most? I know there's a there's a huge group of Practical Magic fans who are like <laughs> hardcore fanatics of that movie. Obviously, Moulin Rouge has a big following. What what's, yes. what's the one that people keep bringing up to you the most? I Celeste in Big Little Lies and actually Undoing right now, probably because it's current and and so many people have watched it. Um, so they're always talking to me about that. Yeah. And, um, and Celeste was, you know, from Big Little Lies was probably because of the story um, in terms of the abuse and the, the relationship and a lot of people come to me and say I either have lived that or I know somebody that's lived that or I know somebody that's living that now um, and want to tell me their stories. And that was sort of a very, um, and then, yeah, something like Moulin Rouge is more like, I love Satine. And I go, I loved Satine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but it's lovely to still be working where there's roles that are connecting currently. You know, it's mm-hmm. not yesteryear things. It's things that are of now. That's a real um, pleasure and a blessing. And, you know, I always cite Jessica Tandy's career, so hopefully I can be on stage in my 80s remembering my lines. <laughs> you know, I saw you on stage in the Blue Room, and it was right. wonderful. Yeah, and have, have you wanted to get back? Into theater again? I did a I did a play on the West End um, a few uh, five years ago, which was about Rosalind Franklin, who was um, female scientist that discovered DNA. She was not attributed to discovering it, um, and she died um, at thirty five of ovarian cancer. And I just my father was a scientist, and it was really and and just in terms of heralding female scientists and their stories. It just was a was such a great thing to do. I loved doing it. It was called Photograph 51 because that was the image. The Photograph 51 was the one that helped crack DNA to, that we know of today. Obviously, Watson and Crick were awarded the Nobel Prize, but Rosalind really deserved to be acknowledged in that and wasn't. So that was part of the reason I wanted to do that. Wow. It's a great, yeah, it was a really great experience to do on stage. I, I didn't get to bring it to Broadway. Um, I, I hope somebody does, but I didn't because I have young children and mm. I think any actor will tell you it's very difficult with the children. My children are a little bit older now, so it's slightly easier, but juggling, you know, one of them was three at the time and missing oh. bedtime and all of those things, it's, that's a big thing as an actor. And when you're doing it for three, four, five months and... Where's mummy? Mummy's at the theatre. So, yeah, but it was a great, great thing to do and the rigorous sort of exploration of being on stage and that technique and the, and the need to do um, theatre work. I just, you know, it's so important for an actor. Mm-hmm. So. Talking about the films you're recognised for, I'm wondering on the flip side of that, you know, quite often you do these labours of love and they don't get... Yeah. The love and nobody sees like them to at the time. <laughs> Is there a, a movie from your filmography that you know people might not be familiar with that you would want them to check out? I mean, I've I did things, you know, smaller films. Rabbit Hole was a labor of love for me. Um, Destroyer was something I really wanted to, you know, put my put myself on the line for. I I, I love Karen Kusama's work and supporting her and. Um, you know, didn't find the audience we hoped it would, but it was just great to be able to be trusted to go and do something like that. I had this wonderful makeup artist, Bill Corso, and, um, you know, I did a film for with Downey Jr., which was a crazy thing about Diana. I do weird films at times, and I love that. <laughs> Small, odd films, Paperboy with Lee Daniels, where it was just like, wow. Um, down there in um, Louisiana doing this crazy sort of noir um, role and being trusted to play that character. I loved that character. Um, and actually SAG was wonderful. They acknowledged that. The actors they acknowledged did. me in that role. And I was, yeah, that was so, so gratifying because to be, you know, the film itself was kind of 
we 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 really tried to get it get it out there and it just didn't catch on but for the actors to acknowledge the performance that way I remember that when I got that news I was like oh thank you um because she was a great role and um we had no money I remember sort of doing my own hair and makeup with the wig and sending it into Lee on an iPhone going see I can play this that was an audition for me I was like see I can play her um you know so there's always a story behind everything but yeah that was that was lovely and lovely to be acknowledged for the undoing because that was um a big big um kind of role in 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 terms of just it's not physically bold but it's mentally Mm. was this crazy um labyrinth you know roller coaster um maze in a way of emotions and ideas and and having to keep things hidden and quiet and um and having that acknowledged was really like wow so <laughs> there's still a lot of wows wow even now there's still a wow beyond oh. you have no idea <laughs> yeah i have a i have a, a mother who's 81 about to be 81 in March and um, she's, you know, you know, has some, some massive health issues and things going on. So in the weirdest way right now, um, just her seeing that and going, she goes, yeah, go Nikki. And it's really nice. So I'm, I share, I'm very much sharing that with her and I have a, a, a 12 year old who wants to be a director. So really? she's like, yeah. Yeah, she's deeply she's obsessed, <laughs> and she's 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 on the path. Wow. She's editing, she's writing, she's directing. So, all those actors out there, get ready. Sunday Urban's coming your way. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> I'm all for it. You may she may not have any money to pay you on her first few films, but hey, <laughs> she's got talent. <laughs> Uh, I am curious about The Undoing because uh, you're both the star and producer. Did it come to you first? You know, were you looking for projects as a producer? Is is it always the package deal? Because obviously Big Little Lies, you were also a producer. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, David E. Kelly gave me episode one and two and said, would you have a look at this? I think you'd be a great grace. And that never happens. You know, you get given some great scripts and, and we were able then to get the money and, and make it, you know. A lot of times you'll read a script and you'll go, okay, and then you can't get the financing, you can't get it made. I've had that happen many times. And then so, you know, every everything is different. And right now we just got told we've, we've got a green light on a new series that we're going to be doing, an anthology actually, which is going to be all female directors um, for uh uh, for Apple, which is really, really exciting because they're unusual little stories, but we're able to amplify the, the voice of the female, these, you know, female directors right now. And that was, a, that's a big, we're very happy about that. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I'm, I'm in one of them and then there'll be some great roles for a lot of other women. So this is, you know, written by women, directed by women, starring women. As a producer, how involved do you get in choosing the director and the casting, specifically on The Undoing, but also on this new show? Um, you know, it depends. It depends on what's needed and what the directors, different directors want and how much they want. I mean, a lot of times as an actor when you're producing, I go, okay, I'll step into that role now because I don't want to mm-hmm. um, be blurring the lines. I'll step up when you need me. Um, Susanna Beer and I talk about this a lot and Jean-Marc Vallée and, you know, when you need me to step into there or you need me to go to bat for an actor or you need me to say we have to have this location, I can help with that. But a lot of it is just I'm, I pledge to stay in the space of the performance and mm-hmm. not be sort of um, blurring that or, or making the director uncomfortable. And then, you know, I'm also a hired... I'm a hired actor where I'll just go and I don't have anything to do with the production. I'm just there along with everybody else, which is what I just did with Robert Eggers. And um, in Belfast, I was, I didn't have any chance, you know, that wasn't my, my show. I was just there as an actor, part of the, part of the group. Yeah. He's an amazing. It was a great, 
Great. Yes. So good. And so, and I got to work with Anya Taylor-Joy on that. And I got to work with Alex Skarsgård again and Klaus Bang and Bjork's in it. And I didn't get any scenes with her, but it was a really interesting, um, fabulous, Ethan Hawke, who I've never gotten to work with, who I love. So good. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it was a real, that was a joy. Really, I mean, it was tough, really tough, really hard, but um, a privilege a privilege to be asked to do it. And that was part of my thing of going, you know, get on a plane and go over there and they promised me I'd be safe and that there'd be protocols in place. But I was pretty frightened, I have to say. But mm-hmm. they kept their pledge and they kept us safe and nobody um, got COVID and we were able to make the film. Fantastic. I yeah. That. Such an amazing filmmaker and cast. Yeah. Um, yeah. And auteur, right? Did, did, speaking of auteurs, uh, you mentioned the Undoing director, Susanna Beer. Um, mm-hmm. She directed all six episodes, which is she did. pretty unusual. Did you yes. have any say in, in choosing her or the fact that she would do all of them? Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. I, um, you know, I wanted to work with her for such a long time. And part of my um, desire to do the project was, was to, you know, to be able to bring it to life, David E. Kelly's script but also to work with a woman who was going to really make this her own and bring so much and so she was the first person we went out to and she said yes wow yeah and I sat with her and we talked it through and it was it was fantastic I heard is this correct that was a five-month shoot yeah wow yeah every day I was on every day on that yeah, I think it was five and a half, actually. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Are you the kind yeah, of... Yeah, long, long days, long days and long yeah. scenes and a lot of just... It was a, it was, it was a, a, um, it was physically and mentally taxing. Mm. But, hey, what a fantastic chance, right? But, yeah, it was like we were, we were running a marathon on that. And it was Susanna and I together because, you know, obviously the director's there every day. Um, but a lot of times as an actor you'll have time off and I just really didn't have, almost, I mean, I think I had a few days here and there. But, you know, I had the support of Hugh and, and, and all of those incredible actors. I mean, you come and you sit opposite Lily Rabe and you watch her do her thing and you're just like, oh, my God, thank God we've got Lily, you know. So. Noah Jupe is fantastic too. Noah, great young actor. Wow. Yeah, he's a man, man now. Young man. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Growing up. <laughs> yeah, he was a boy then, and he's gone from boy to man. Yeah. When you're doing a role that's challenging like that, and especially for a long time, are you able to leave it behind at the end of the day? Do you? sort of carry characters with you or do you have sort of a method of getting rid of them or maybe you're just one of those people who can step in and out of them pretty easily? Not me. No, no. Um, I'm not that actor. I'm the actor that comes home and it penetrates my dreams and it it has a massive effect on my life. Um, So I have to be careful what I say yes to and how many things I say yes that carry dark themes and I've just learnt that I have to balance those things because, yeah, I'm not I'm not the actor that just walks away from it and shrugs and doesn't think about mm-hmm. it at night. I wish I was. I would like to have that ability. But um, I just, that's not my past. So I carry it and that's that. And I've tried and I try all the, you know, the meditation and the wiping the light from the thing and trying to, all those things. <laughs> I've tried them. Um, and I've, it just, it's not me. It penetrates my psyche. It's who I am and that's that. So I'm actually very careful now where I go and how often I tread into those, into that territory and all of those things because it affects me. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm really happy that you then went and did the prom because I think yes. Washington would be a fun place to live for a while. Yeah. 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 She's just a delight. Yeah, and just a love bug. A love bug is what I call her. <laughs> mm-hmm. My kids love that movie, so oh, yeah? I watched oh, that great. over the Christmas break with them and they were like, Oh mom, this is cool. It's so cool. So that was nice. Yeah. 
What do you think has been your most challenging role or the role that was hardest to shape? No, I can't answer that. That's, <laughs> that's the favorite that's the favored child. Yeah. You can't answer that question. I I mean, I'm just it's a journey. Mm-hmm. Who knows? There's different roles that I go back and look at and I'm like but I've the journey continues. So I don't know. I'm lucky to have all these um all these different sort of people that are part of me, that are part of my um, lifetime journey and what a wonderful thing to sort of have had the chance to embody them onward, hopefully, and not backward onward, (laughs) (laughs) I hope. Well, I can't wait to see what you do next. It's always something interesting and exciting. Um, You just... Like I said, I've never seen you phone it in. Um, and I know you're working with David E. Kelly again on Nine Perfect Strangers. Yes. Oh yeah, Melissa McCarthy and Michael Shannon and, I mean, Regina Hall. I just so Bobby. I mean, we have a cast that's incredible, Tiffany Boone, this extraordinary cast. So I'm very excited for you to see them in this show. Again, it feels I'm like happy it to be in it alongside these people because I was – going, wow, this is a cast. Yeah. And yeah. really, you've, you've sort of become in part of his repertory theater company as well. Oh, please. <laughs> I would, I hope. I well, hope. Again, I want to thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your insight and your craft with your fellow artists. And thank you really for all the work you've done, both on screen and off. It's so appreciated. Well, more to be done. And thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. It makes me sentimental, but it also kind of fires me up too. So, um, yeah, much love and to all of the actors out there and all of the people that are really struggling right now. We're here. We've got your back. And as I said, onward, onward for all of us. So. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the sag After Foundation's Conversations podcast. If you appreciated what you heard, please support us with a review or donation and reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SAG-AFTRA Found. We'd love to hear from you.